This is BC Spritch, your look at the province's burgeoning distilling culture. Welcome to another episode of BC Spirits. Of course, I'm your host, Sean Sewell. Uh, this week, I got to sit down with the incomparable Jason McIsaac from Sheringham, the master distiller and the owner there. Um, I usually, I use incomparable a lot, but I, I am very grateful and uh, so fortunate that I get to sit down with people who I class as friends, mentors, peers, all this sort of stuff. And they're, they're just the most incredible people and the stories that they sort of started off and how to build out and stuff. So, Sheringham has exploded. It's only five years old and it's just a massive uh, explosion in the grand scheme of what craft distilling is in BC, obviously. Um, but they've had huge success, which we talk about. Uh, we talk a little bit about Jason's background, but I hope you enjoy this episode, guys. Thank you very much for the support. I appreciate it immensely and I'll chat to you soon. Bye. But um, BC Spirits is very similar to the post shift. That'd be cool. I'm going to probably use this one for BC Spirits and I'm going to lay and get set of quarantine to one with both you and talk more about business and entrepreneurship and stuff. And we can talk about that and we can slide that into the post your podcast. So I'm doing a full podcast a week right now. Yeah, right. Plus everything else. Great. So I stay busy. Good. So um, how about you start by just introducing yourself? Yeah, hi, I'm Jason McIsaac from Sheringham Distillery. So how long has Sheringham been around now? Um, we're coming up on five years, actually. It's almost been five years. What happened in five years? June. A lot has happened in five years. What has happened in fuck, five years? Yeah. So what did you do before this? Now I know all this story. I, um, I cooked. I was, I was a chef. I cooked for 23 years professionally. Um, 10 of which were of the, the last 10 years of that, I was a private chef, which was a great, great career. Very rewarding. Um, I love cooking. I was, I was will. I loved it then. I love it now. But um, yeah, something. Do you have time for it still? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, at home. Yeah. You know, yeah. This, I'm definitely not um, doing any catering gigs or anything these days. But um, something was calling me to uh, the world of distilling. What was the spark that? Um, Can you remember? Yeah, well, I was do. I can remember. I, I was doing a bunch of um, hobby distilling and stuff like that, um, just for personal experimentation. Uh, and um, I, I was catering at a mansion in Victoria at a party, and um, the conversation or the meeting that they were having at that was the uh, implementation of uh, craft designation in BC. So I heard that and kind of hit the ground running ever since uh, ever since then. Actually, been still running, but yeah. After that night, I came home and woke up Elaine. I was like, "Hey, hey, guess what? I'm gonna I'm gonna start a distillery." And she was like, "Oh, okay, that's nice. Good luck. I'm going back to sleep." <laughs> and um, so I started on the path then. And at that time, Elaine was um, developing a food a food company. It was. Um, gluten-free, individual gluten-free meals that were uh, we delivered to people. And it was was taking hold and um, grocery stores were showing interest and it was uh, was a great business model. But um, every now and then I'd send her a little message or whatever, a note saying, oh, uh, just so you know, there'll always be a position at the distillery for you if you're, (laughs) you know, if you're ever interested and and then, you know, I didn't bug her, but occasionally I dropped that. And um, 
and one day she said, yeah, I'm going to do the distillery with you. And that's the moment when I was like, yes, this actually might work because I knew her background and her work ethic, her background sales and marketing, her work ethic is very strong and she's very creative. And, um, yeah, that's when we started in 2015. We got our license in 2015 and started then. I'm Shirley. And, uh, how, what, what were the sort of the pros and cons curveballs that you had when you first started Sound Distillery that you didn't even register were going to be an issue? Um, well, the first one that we did, the first setup that I designed uh, at the distillery, we weren't able to produce enough to cover our bills, basically. So immediately we had to do a small expansion, which made a larger mash ton and larger still. Um, and then after that, I mean, sales and marketing was is always something that uh, we had to really work hard on, I'd say. Do you think that you got in at the right time? Because I think I remember, I remember coming up to see you for the very first time and I was at Olo, and I think it was like September, October of that 2015. Yeah, I remember that, yeah. yeah. And uh, uh, I remember, I think right about then we had about 50 distilleries in the province, and everyone was like losing their mind at 50 distilleries. Yeah. Now we're going over 80, and yeah, wow. people are still losing their minds. Incredible, yeah. But um, I think uh, I remember seeing how small your setup was. How much could you make a day? Because I remember it was something like only a case a day, basically, you could actually yeah, produce. You know what? I can't even remember. I'm going to have to I'm gonna have to uh-huh. look it up. I don't even remember what it was. But it was such a small amount. I remember you being shocked even that when I told you how much we could produce. <laughs> it was literally a case or two a day. I'm just yeah, like... It was pretty small. Okay, how are you going to do this? Yeah. So how, how has the trajectory been? Like five years is really short for any business to sort of go from really a mom-and-pop operation like you on the stills every day in Shirley to being here at Soup Proper in this new facility which has only been two years almost two years here almost two it'll be two years in July that is see that's even a crazy transition <laughs> I know like three years from that to that and then mm-hmm. from here to here yeah how uh, how have you been able to keep up that pace um I don't know we, we just um Elaine and I both have worked really hard in our own areas at um, a lot of small things that measure up to one sum, I guess, and we're just constantly working on them and changing them and then doing as much as we can until we can't bear it anymore and then hire someone to help us take over some of the responsibility Mm -hmm. to alleviate pressure from us and then kind of keep doing that again until we need to have someone come in and help us. You still still find you have the same passion for it? Yeah. Did day one. Yeah, absolutely. It's not work yet. Yeah, no, it's always work. Yeah, but I love working. <laughs> yeah, I always have cooking and everything. I always loved it. Um, I mean, a lot of the, the things that I learned in cooking, um, production, long grueling hours, um, using your senses, using your taste, using your palate. I mean, I think a lot of that's transferred to this job, which I've always had a lot of passion for when I was cooking. And just kind of all the craziness that goes along with it. It's it's here, too. Or maybe it's just following me wherever I go. <laughs> I have no idea. What do you like making the most? Mm. I like making... 
I like making whiskey. I mean, I really am interested in making whiskey, and I want to really try to put more energy into it. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't been able to before for good reasons, because when I get a whiskey program, normally gin showed up and kind of take over the program and overflowed into it, which has been great, and it's been exciting. Um, but I would like to focus a little energy in whiskey. Um, and whiskey takes a lot of patience because... You have to do a lot of experimentation, and the experimentation is could take three years or four years to do. Mm-hmm. So, kind of piecing it all together is a big, like learning curve, which is uh, very interesting, um, very humbling because it's you realize I realize the more that I learn about it, the more I think I know, and the more I need to learn, and the more I don't know about it really. Yeah. And I don't think there's a lot of resources out there that like give you the, the step-by-step guide because they're always so secretive and like careful about proprietary information. There's yeah. no there's no guidebook to like there's the general gist of how to make it from scratch. I think gin's yeah. the same, but like the general gist of yeah. how to do it, but no one really like gives you every single secret. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're Have right, you had any right. screw-ups at the end of the four years? You've pulled a pipette and gone, oh screw it. I've shafted this one hard. Um, touch wood. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> I mean, uh, there's always going to be improvements as far as far as I'm concerned with whiskey. Uh, there's a, there's like the learning curve, like I said. So there's always going to be crazy room for improvements. Um, a lot of the other products that we have, it's the recipe's been done so many times, and we do it like try to do it exactly the same method and ingredients and everything every time and same procedure but for whiskey it's just I mean even from barrel to barrel it's just a different beast in everywhere everywhere you look everywhere you turn so it's really and you've released two whiskeys so, so far you've done the red we've fire. released one yeah. and we have another one we're, that we haven't released yet but it is bottled and we're getting ready the Woodhaven is there anything left of that? Yeah, would have it. Yeah, there is. Uh, there, there are some, and we haven't released it yet. We're just trying to because there's such a small amount. We're trying to figure out how to release it as well. How many bottles do you have? Um, I think there's 75 bottles of that, <laughs> and then I, there's going to be another barrel coming off like the second Woodhaven um, expression, and it, it'll probably have 100 bottles. And then close behind that, we're going to have a rye, which will also have 100, somewhere around 100 bottles. Yeah. Only small, small, super exclusive production. Yeah, this is basically the experimental stage. So five years or ten years from now, we'll kind of know what kind of whiskey we're starting to make, I guess. I don't know. Did the Red 5 go down well? I know that I love Red 5. Yeah, it did. It went over quite well, I think, yeah. What made you explore that? Because I know that these grains that you've been playing with, you've used in cooking and that sort of thing in the past, but what sort of drove you to use Red 5? Red 5 is a Canadian heritage grain. And it also grows really well in um, the, the conditions where the distillery is, mm-hmm. like um, on the island and, and coastal. So the idea was to put those two things together. Like that's what it is. A chef is things cook with things that are regional and abundant. So that's what gave me the idea for the whiskey. And so then you just slapped it in and hope for the best. Yeah, that's how you got to start, right? It's just kind of go for it. Yeah. I know there's one other Red 5 whiskey in BC. Yeah. Cove does one. Yeah, right. Um, do you think Red 5, like, for me, I think it's a, I think you get more rye flavor 
than what you get from BC Rye. Right. If that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Uh, there's a lot of big, beautiful grain flavor in there. And soft flavors, too. It's kind of... It's really interesting. Not as spicy as rye. Um, and I like both of those grains, so I'm doing a whiskey with a combination of both rye and red fife. Okay. Yeah. To see how it turns out. Yeah, because I've been having a lot of conversations with people about corn, BC corn, BC rye. Yeah. Like, compare it, especially because of the agricultural rules, so on and so forth. Compare it with Alberta rye and Eastern Eastern rye and stuff like that. Right. Um, and it's interesting how people have a sort of mental flavor profile of yeah. what things should taste like. Yeah, yeah, right. And then you go, okay, well, BC corn is not going to be as sweet as American like corn syrup corn right yeah. you know it's got a different flavor profile altogether yeah yeah the growing conditions aren't as uh, conducive to corn for grain as it is uh, in other parts of this country or yeah. definitely south of here so you've done pretty well award wise and I know that you don't do it for the awards but it's helped yeah yeah we have it's been because um, you were only even three yeah. what three years old when you got the world contemporary or was that last year that was last year that yeah. was last year so yeah. four year old distillery three. out of Shirley Vancouver Island yeah gets world's most uh, world's contemporary best gen yeah yeah what <laughs> <laughs> um yeah I still can't really believe that happened but yeah very very exciting. That was really exciting times. That was um, when we got, when that was announced. The um, media trucks started showing up, like news oh. trucks, and the phones started ringing. Um, magazines were showing up, and um, yeah, it was. Did it change the trajectory? Yeah, change the trajectory for the distillery at the time. Um, or it was just, it more of an adaption of what was coming. It, it, it felt like an adaption of what was coming. I mean, we, I didn't ever dream of that that would happen. But if this would, if it would have happened when we were in Shirley, we would not have been able to keep up yeah. with it because we were maxed out there. That's yeah. why we moved to Sioux because we needed to um, expand desperately because um, we were just completely capped out there. Um, but yeah, we built this facility in Sioux knowing that we could produce a few days a week and do more than we could in Shirley in a week and then uh, we could expand within our own space here so that kind of helped us a lot I mean when that award came around we could scale up production to help along with it yeah it is uh, it's kind of crazy how good Canadian gins have been doing at that awards event too yeah like really like Ampersand got uh, world's best single varietal vodka Bucket, this year. Yeah, correct, yeah. Which is just, again, small distillery, yeah. family distillery. Congratulations to them, for sure, yeah. <laughs> like, thank Amazing. you, Miles, just killing it. Yeah. So what's next for you guys in 2020? Um, 2020? We are going to put more whiskey away. Yep. Definitely. Um, we are working on Lumet, of course, and the distribution of Lumet. And we're we're just about to release a new product from Lumet, a London Dry style, which is very exciting. It's very tasty. Yeah. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and um, there is a blackberry liqueur that we're going a very limited nice. run of blackberry liqueur that we're going to release. It's um, made with trailing blackberries or Pacific blackberries, which are indigenous to BC as opposed to the um, Himalayan blackberries that we're all very familiar with. Um, it just has a really great, intense flavor. 
and they're just beautiful little berries. I used to love using them as a chef. How are they? How hard are they to source? They're very hard to source. Yeah, they are very small, about the size of your tip of your pinky, I'd say, depending on the size of your hands, I guess. Um, and they're they grow on little vines along the ground, so they're oh. very tedious to pick. And, and they get stepped on and whatnot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I, I was at an in-store tasting, and I met this man that specialized, and that was his kind of passion was trailing blackberries. Only on Vancouver Island. And he said that he, <laughs> exactly. He said that he was making wine with them. And I said, "Well, how many of these things are you picking?" And I said, "Well, if you ever have you know an abundance and you'd like to bring some by, I'd gladly take them and and try to make something with them." So he did show up after the next season, and then I waited a whole another season for him to pick again, so we had enough to yeah. make something. So it'll be definitely a limited run, but I mean, I'm um, kind of fun. Find someone who is an expert and specializes in trailing. <laughs> Seriously, yeah, yeah. And then it turns out that many must be picking a ton to try, turn it into wine. Really, yeah. Like, it must be a lot. Yeah, he's passionate about it. So you've got Lumet as a secondary, like, with the non-alcoholic gin, which has been super successful straight off the hop. Yeah, it's like, been... Uh, we've had a lot of uh, a lot of positive feedback about it, a lot of attention across Canada and interest um, um, internationally as well. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I've literally had two people hit me up to develop a non-alcoholic product for them. I'm like, no, it's not my, it's not my wheelhouse. Yeah, wow. Well, it's not my wheelhouse already. And I'm like, it's also, I always have a thing about like, what's your why? If it's just because the market, like the market's right for it and you mm-hmm. can see it being a competition thing, that's not a good reason to do it. Like, yeah, right. I think C-Lip is way too expensive here in BC. Right. And across the country. Um, and the way it comes in is perfect, I think. Yeah, thank you. And really, it's Elaine's, uh, it's Elaine's passion and her her idea and her 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 baby. She um she loves cocktails, loves cocktail yeah. cultures. But when we go out, I mean, she's not. She usually doesn't have more than two. Yeah. She usually she's good with one, and then she'd like to switch to something non-alcoholic. And that's really where it came from. Is for her to be able to enjoy the time being out, be involved with the everything that goes around with cult, cocktail culture. Yeah. The inclusivity as well. Definitely. Yeah. Um, have you got any? Uh I just like the Blackberry liqueur. Are you getting new products coming out? Are you just going to keep ticking away at the Kazuki? Because you've got what? Are you, are you dropping the vodka? We or did just... drop the vodka and now it's come back. But it's small. So we're doing... We're, it's back. It's back now. Yeah. yeah, we're bringing it back. We... Um, because we were... Uh, we're worried that we were going to get close to our craft limit. We decided to take it away. Um, did focus on gin. But uh, we've had some feedback from some people, a lot of people that really enjoyed the vodka, so we're going to bring it back, yeah. Uh, there, is a, there is a demand for it, so that was really nice to know. Find that out. is nice to hear. So we're bringing it back, and then we're going to focus on the Seaside Gin, the Kazuki, um, Aquavit, and we also have a coffee liqueur. Um, and then uh, there will be a few other specialty items, like... Uh, we'll have a small batch of barrel-aged aquavit that we'll be releasing. I'm looking forward to that That one. would be exciting. Um, Any plans on doing the rhubarb gin in large format? Uh, that's been a question that a lot of people have been asking. Dude, like, because... with me wearing my Sheridan jacket around town, you have no idea how many times I get pulled aside. <laughs> really? Like, everywhere. <laughs> At grocery stores. Like, I've had people just 
bow me up and like last one was in Market Square someone bowed me up and was like Rhubarb Gin are you guys making any more? I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> like I love to be uh, on brand yeah. on point and I love wearing that jacket <laughs> like the amount of times I get bowed up ladies bow me up at grocery stores asking where they can get you met like it is kind of crazy <laughs> the specificness that awesome. jacket brings uh, yeah so there has been a lot of that um, and it's definitely under discussion because uh, people did like what they tasted um, when we released it in the tri-packs over and you were doing Christmas about it season like, and yeah, yeah 100 yeah. ml bottles yeah so uh, yeah it is it has been um, kind of a tedious process to uh, produce that product but um, yeah there is a lot of positive feedback about it so it's a possibility there's a po- high possibility that it'll come back I'm not going to say for sure but you, hear, you heard it here first yeah <laughs> <laughs> so what do you what yeah. do you see like being someone who's still relatively young in the the distilling industry here mm-hmm. in BC mm-hmm. um, but obviously hyper successful where do you see the BC distilling culture going in the next five to ten years um well there's there's a lot of excellent producers so I think we're going to see a lot of high quality maintaining a lot of high quality products coming out of BC um and I think there's going to be there's a lot of creativity in the area. I think people are going to be really creative. We're going to see some really interesting things. Um, and I think there's going to be a lot of whiskey. People are going to work and start working on whiskey. And there's been a lot of companies, um, distilleries, releasing whiskey. And I think you're just going to see different expressions from all of these companies that are kind of as they learn more about whiskey to make better better product all the time uh, I think anyway I think the the one thing that I always give, give you high praise for is the fact that you haven't just lent into a single malt or something like that you like to play around in the Canadian whiskey rules and like make good Canadian whiskey um, instead of just leaning in being a single malt distillery yeah which I uh, there's certain like Shelf Point I think is doing fantastic single malts absolutely they're single malts yeah. are gangster yeah they're whiskey and I think they've broken the, I think they've also broken the mold of um, they've broken a mold of where people are actually now asking for Shelf Point which is always going to be the issue with having to do a single malt like you get a bottle for a friend they drink that bottle and they go back to their Glenfiddichs and Glenlivets and Mirages and stuff like that right so I think they've broken the mold of what a single malt drinker can drink yeah I think but so. uh, I appreciate your stuff more so in a way that it's just weird Canadian versions of BC versions of Canadian whiskey yeah yeah exactly yeah yeah it's fun it's fun to play with and we'll see kind of how it evolves because that's what it'll be is just kind of uh, just an evolution the whole time and I, I would like to experiment with single malts in the future of course but um, I've seen how busy you are downstairs. Let's there's not a lot of room see. for it. Yeah, yeah, there's not a lot of room for it right now. So just yeah. going to expand out the back here and just put a brick house in the back? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah, you will have to get something like that going. Just put a big shed in the back and fill it with brick. Just turn it into an old school brick house, make it t- out of tin so it really, really gets hot during yeah. the summer. I'd like that. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, thanks very much for sitting down with me, buddy. Yeah, my pleasure. I'd like to sit down with you and Elaine in the future as well. Yeah, for but, sure. Uh, are you distilling today or are you just... Distilling uh, tomorrow, bottling today, distilling tomorrow. What are you making tomorrow? Um, we're set up at the distillery so that in a production day we do a mash, a stripping run, 
a spirit run and an aromatic run, and then we rotate it for the next day. Oh, wow. Or for the day after that. It just is uh, an efficiency that um, allows us to do everything in one day. Perfect. So tomorrow we're going to be stripping whiskey, um, producing a high-proof spirit, like a spirit run for gin, and we're also going to be doing a seaside gin run. Nice. Yeah. Well, thanks very much for sending me, bud. Yeah, you bet.